This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Saturday, May 28th, 2022. I'm Caleb Brown. Economists sometimes enjoy a bit too much the cold analytical reasoning that leads to what many people consider outlandish conclusions. Gifting is one such area. Tony Gill is a professor of the Department of Political Science at the University of Washington. We spoke about the economics of gifting in Las Vegas last month. Economists sometimes revel in being sort of cold-blooded and ruthless efficiency machines. And one of the one of the cases where that presents itself is the case of gifts. Uh, when you give a gift, an economist might say, you should not give an item, you should give cash, because cash is uh, gives people the widest variety of expressing their own preferences. And we shouldn't substitute our own preferences for the preferences of other people. You give a gift, they're, they can't, if they really wanted it, they'd already have it. Uh, and that is, uh, I've heard that from many economists. And of course, it doesn't capture everything about uh, why one would give a gift, but it is one argument that I hear. And it actually has a name for it, Caleb. They call it Scroogeonomics. It's a book written by Joel Waldfogel that was based upon a 1983 uh, American Economic Review article that was, I thought, a little bit tongue-in-cheek. It poked fun at uh, thin utility economists saying, you know, we're just utility maximizers. And he made the argument that if you give somebody a gift and they don't want or need that gift, it becomes a huge deadweight loss. It's the classic ugly cat sweater that your aunt gives you that sits in your closet. Uh, the threads that made up that sweater could have gone to make something else for somebody who would have desired it. But here, you're never going to wear it. And that's a problem. But it also sits in your closet, taking up valuable closet space. And Professor Waldfogel went out and tried to measure this. And he found out that uh, through a number of surveys with uh, students who've received gifts, that anywhere between, you know, 7 and 15 percent of, of the value of gifts is deadweight loss, is things we don't want. And he said, wow, that's a terrible uh, drag on the economy when you multiply that one gift across all the people who get these gifts, across all the times that we uh, give gifts. All right. So what's, so what's wrong with that? It's not entirely wrong. Professor Waldfogel's correct in, we think about this in terms of static inefficiency. So it is a deadweight loss. I, I've received gifts that uh, I don't really want and I don't throw away. And so it just sits there because the person didn't uh, you know, know my preferences directly. However, and this is a puzzle for economists, if this institution of gifting is so inefficient for society, why has it lasted for so long? I mean, gifting goes back deep into history and is common across many, many cultures, if not all cultures. So the question becomes, why would this thing persist? And my co-author and myself, Michael Thomas, have been writing a paper on this where we make the argument that gifting is statically inefficient, but it's dynamically efficient. Okay, explain that. So to explain this, I want to back up a little bit and talk about Adam Smith. Hey, 
kind of lots of economics gets rooted back in him, but he had a basic recipe for the wealth of nations. That was the division of labor enhances productivity. But in order to expand the division of labor, we need to expand or extend markets. Now, when you extend markets, you start to meet and trade with individuals that you don't know very well. They're outside of your comfort zone, strangers who you're uncertain about their intentions. This creates a lot of uncertainty uh, and trust issues. So I'm going to you know, trade a, a bolt of linen for somebody and they're going to give me a barrel of, of whiskey in return. And am I sure that they will give me the quality of whiskey that we agreed upon or not? So human beings need to find some ways to alleviate that uncertainty, to build trust between strangers or quasi-anonymous partners in, in trading uh, interactions. So one of the ways that we do this is create these cultural mechanisms that help to send signals about the intentions of, of others. One of the most common ones historically and culturally has been gift giving. All right. So gift giving enhances trust. That's what we argue. So what you what the process of giving does is it you make a sacrifice. So a gift typically is something that you're not expecting anything for in return. This is typically how it's defined. I'm giving you something out of the kindness of my heart um, to make you feel more comfortable, to celebrate something. And it's a sacrifice for me. I am taking resources that I don't necessarily need to use and giving them to you, I, in many ways burning these resources. Uh, that sacrificial signal says that, listen, um, I don't have to do this. But I'm making this sacrifice because I want you to know that ever, if, if there's ever a time in the future that you need some help from me, I'm willing to be there. I will sacrifice something. I, I've proven that to you by giving you this, you know, maybe it's a, a, a silly gift that maybe nobody would want or anything, but I burned resources in order to show you that I'm, you know, somebody who will sacrifice resources in the future. And that's very important because in economic interactions, you can't always specify everything that's going to happen in a contract. Something's going to go wrong, and you're hoping that the person on the other end of the deal who is, you know, something went wrong on their end, you hope that they're going to make it up. If I have a signal that, oh, you are sacrificing for me, I know that you want to, you know, fix the error that occurred, and therefore, I do want to do business with, with a business with you. So gifting in many regards through the sacrificial ritualistic behavior says that or basically greases the wheel of commerce by allowing us to find out the intentions of people that we really don't know very much about. Okay. What about people that we really do know very much about, like a fiance, for example? I've heard it said uh, women don't want flowers. They just want you to waste money. I, 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 in many ways, that is very true. We think about Valentine's Day is, is a huge gifting um, ritual. And, and the ritual aspect of this is important, too, because you know, for society in general, we need to practice these little sacrificial acts, and they need to be very public. Uh, even though a Valentine's Day gift is somewhat intimate and romantic, we know that everybody on February 14th are giving gifts to their loved ones. And in that instance, it really does need to be frivolous. Because if it's your fiance, say, will you please marry me? Um, you're going into a contract that's going to be there for the long haul. You know, we're hoping that decades into the future, this couple was going to be happily married with one another. And that's a big commitment. 
So, you know, having somebody spend, you know, three months salary on a diamond ring or, you know, give a lot of silly flowers that, you know, are gonna, not going to last into the future and that um, is, is becomes very important. Now, what's interesting about this, you can trace this dynamically, too. I've been married now almost 30 years. And Valentine's Day comes around and and my wife and I do a little card for one another, but it's not as uh, intense as it was when we were first courting Uh, because we know each other's intentions. We've been together for 30 years. We're going to be together for hopefully another 30 more. So um, you can see where the sacrificial aspect becomes very important in those areas where the uncertainty is actually pretty large. All right. What about tipping? Now, tipping is this is this is the ultimate sort of cosmopolitan experience. You and I are just going to be interacting for a little bit. The likelihood that we're going to interact again in the near term is not great. Um, So uh, presenting trustworthiness on both ends, maybe that's not so important in a, a like a restaurant setting or a delivery setting. Well, tipping is one of my favorite examples because there is a, a puzzle. I think Milton Friedman introduced this puzzle or a few other folks did is why would anybody leave a tip at a restaurant that they know they're never going to come back to? Now, there is a, a, a very strategic or instrumental means for tipping is that if I go to a bar that I regularly you know, uh, uh, go to, um, I'm I'm tipping to get better service in the future. But if I go to a restaurant where I'm never going to come back again, I I don't have to leave, you know, a tip there, but most people do. Uh, you know, we're here in you know, Las Vegas and I just left the tip for the house uh, keeping service and I'll never see these people. So why do I do that? This is part of the ritualistic behavior that is key to gifting as well. We practice this sacrifice. I am going to sacrifice by taking $5 or 15 or 20% of the the, the tab uh, to just burn, to give away when I don't really have to. There's no instrumental value for it. And we we learn this very young, and we want to understand that it's important to sacrifice for other individuals, even when we don't have to. Now, not every culture has the culture of tipping. This is unique to the United States and actually typically of, of the British colonies uh, around the globe. Uh, that's where you find tipping most common. Uh, but other cultures have different uh, aspects of these kind of things. So that's one of the things that we're doing. And the important thing, too, about gifting and tipping is that it's done publicly. Now, you might say, no, 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 nobody saw that I tipped the housekeeping last night. But publicly meaning that we know that everybody else gives 15 or 20 percent on a tab or leaves a five dollar bill for the housekeeper. Uh, and if we all know that, and if everybody is doing that, we all know that we live in a society that can that is filled with trusting people that are willing to sacrifice for one another. And that is crucial to maintaining uh, fluid markets, to expanding trade, extending the markets, as Adam Smith would tell us to do. That is, uh, in your sense, then changing the default from people are not trustworthy to people are trustworthy. Yeah. And it goes back to the, you know, old thin utility economists that, you know, the idea is that the economist studies people who are only self-interested. And yeah, that's true. I do believe that people are self-interested. They work toward their benefit of themselves. But in order to do that, and Smith was great at reminding us this too, is that the way that you benefit yourself is to benefit others. 
And so, again, we need to create a, a thick culture of uh, sacrifice and of signaling that we care for other individuals so that all of our it, I mean, it serves us self-interest to be caring of other individuals. And this is something that I wish more economists would uh, you know, promote and tell that. Economics is not the science of greed or selfishness. It's really about giving your talents to others and connecting with others and making new interactions, which is why I see this as, as very beautiful. And what Michael Thomas and I are working on is to, to look at that underlying cultural structure of everyday life that we oftentimes don't see to understand that this is really, really important for the study of economics and society. Uh, Adam Smith also said in another, uh, his other book, um, we don't want to be loved or we don't just want to be loved. We want to be lovely. And this is a perfect example of it. Why would I leave a tip at a restaurant that I know I'm never going to return to? Instrumentally, I can save that five or ten dollars and, you know, buy something else later on. But I walk away from that and say, I wasn't a lovely person. I didn't do something nice for somebody when I could have done something nice for, for somebody else. And again, this is something that we inculcate in our children early on to, to explain to them. It's good to be kind to strangers. It's good to extend a helping hand when you can. Um, and yeah, I think over time, if we don't do that, we don't feel lovely. I, I want to feel good about myself. And one way I do that is doing good things for others, giving gifts, tipping, um, just saying hi or, or smiling at other people as you walk by is so crucial for the functioning of markets. Um, and it oftentimes goes unnoticed that uh, I don't think, you know, when people say these are frivolous topics you're talking about, Professor Gill, um, that's not really true economics. That really does a disservice to what we are studying in political economy. Tony Gill is a professor in the Department of Political Science at the University of Washington. Subscribe to and give a rating to the Cato Daily Podcast on your podcast platform of choice and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.